You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. There seems to be a perception among Christians that Lutherans are somehow against holy living or against good works. And yet in the Catechism we confess that we ask God's name to be holy among us and that this takes place when the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as children of God lead holy lives according to God's Word. God says, be holy, be perfect, as I the Lord your God am holy and perfect. But does he really mean it? Stay tuned for Equipping the Saints with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Noah Kirstein. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Our goal with Equipping the Saints is to bring a teaching, a clear teaching from God's Word to those who are baptized, to those who believe the good news, those who are children of God and desire to know what God's Word has to say with regard to how we should live a Christian life, holy living, uh, Christian ethics, all of these things kind of fit into the category of where we want to go, digging deep into certain parts of God's Word that maybe we don't hear on a regular basis in our uh, Sunday morning worship service or preaching. And we have been parking the car for the last several weeks uh, under the broader category of Christian ethics, uh, the topic of death, dying well. What is it that makes for a good death. We've, we've taken several uh, standard Bible passages that are read at funerals. We've looked at the origins of death in Genesis chapter 3. And today in uh, episode 34, we want to begin a trek. And I'm not sure how long this trek is going to last, how many episodes this trek is going to last. But we are going to begin a discussion of John chapter 11. It's a very, very significant chapter. You may be familiar with some of the verses that are there. This is the chapter where Jesus says, um, I am the resurrection and the life. This is also the chapter where we have the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And John 11, 17 to 27 is oftentimes uh, one of the gospel readings that is read at a funeral service. We got a lot of stuff coming up here. And we're going to start at the beginning, John chapter 11. Uh, Pastor, uh, do you want to give us a little bit to get us, um, you know, some background to get us up to John chapter 11. Uh, many people know John 10. It's a great uh, Good Shepherd chapter. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that has happened, and the Gospel of John is written in a little bit different way or a little bit different style, certainly easier Greek, but a little bit different way and a little bit different style than the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So uh, any preparatory comments? Yeah, John's gospel is uh, written a little bit more um, 
uh, chaotically, maybe. It's easier Greek, of course, but it, it's not based upon a um, timeline as the synoptic gospels are, but instead John is uh, basing his order uh, on signs and signs that prove that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, uh, who is God in the flesh, who can uh, be killed and raised from the dead. And so he has all of these signs, uh, starting with the wedding at Cana, uh, and it goes through all the other ones as well. It has times where Jesus says, I am something. Again, this is a way of Jesus saying that he is God, because uh, if you remember from uh, Exodus, I am that I am is the name that God gives Moses to tell people who he is. And so when Jesus says, I am, he's saying the same thing. Uh, And this particular sign, the raising of Lazarus from the tomb, is the sign then, according to John, that really finally Uh, puts the nail in the coffin for how the Jews are going to deal with Jesus in Jerusalem just uh, a week or two later after he raises Lazarus from the dead. In fact, they're seeking to put Lazarus to death as well as Jesus because when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, there's really no doubt that he is who he says I am. Uh, do you see how I did that there? Um, and so you are, it, you are so clever. It is kind he, of a even the even the vicar is impressed. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it is kind of the high point in John's gospel that you get to before you get to the death and resurrection of Jesus as well. Yeah, it's a it's a. Uh, preview of coming attractions, a foretaste of the feast to come, just when you don't think it can get any better than Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Aha, aha, you have John 20 and Easter Sunday. So uh, I, I think that was an excellent summary there, Pastor. There's so many things in the Gospel of John that are worthy of our study, worthy of our attention, and uh, we're going we're gonna to be spending significant amount of time in John chapter 11. Pastor, uh, before I have Vicar uh, read the first four verses of John 11, what can you tell us about Mary and Martha and Lazarus um, to this point. Yeah, um, well, Mary, uh, Martha, and Lazarus, they're a family, uh, brother and sisters, and they live in the town of Bethany. And um, if you look at the geography of uh, Jerusalem, Bethany is located just uh, about a mile to the east. So um, from the Temple Mount, you have uh, right across from it the Mount of Olives, on which, if you stand, you can look down into the Temple uh, Mount area. And on the far side of that Mount of Olives then, the opposite valley uh, from Jerusalem is where Bethany is located, and Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live there in the little tiny village of Bethany. And uh, it is kind of a... uh, uh, it's related to Jerusalem and the fact that many people come to Jerusalem through the village of Bethany. Uh, the place where you look down upon the city of Jerusalem is after you've stopped in Bethany. And uh, when people are staying in Jerusalem for uh, the feasts and festivals where they were required to be there, many of them stayed in Bethany because it's kind of a suburb in that sense. Um, Mary and Martha, you also know from uh, Scripture where... Um, uh, Martha is busy 
getting the food ready and she's cleaning the house and doing all these things. And Mary is sitting and listening to the words of Jesus. And Jesus says that uh, um, Mary has chosen the proper thing, whereas Martha's busy uh, efforts are uh, distracting from hearing the word of God. So we have them recorded in that way as well. And uh, John's going to tell us then also here in these first four verses a little bit more about Mary as well, that she's the one who anoints the Lord Jesus uh, by uh, putting the uh, nard, the the perfume, the nard perfume upon him and wiping his feet with her hair and her tears. And so uh, we'll hear about that a little bit as well. Okay. Okay. Very good. Uh, So uh, they are, you know, significant people in the New Testament and uh, they're close friends with Jesus. So Vicar, without further ado, uh, John 11, 1 to 4. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Okay, there you have it, John 11, 1 to 4. Um, Pastor, uh, this uh, verse 2, it was Mary that anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Um, Why is that little almost footnote or parenthetical statement, why is that significant for us? Well, um, it reminds us then of what happened in that particular instance when um, Mary chose the more important thing, which was to hear God's word. I think this is also an important moment because uh, it's referring to something that's going to happen in chapter 12 and that is also then recorded in Matthew's gospel. And I think that this is actually at this point, as John is writing this, referring to Matthew's gospel as well, uh, because he hasn't told us about that yet later on. And so um, it is corroborating other gospels. It is uh, telling who these people are, that they are important to Christ, that they are disciples, and that they do have faith. And all these reasons are why John is doing this. And this is great, too, because when John mentions these names, it is this, you know, as if these people are already well-known within the church itself. And so this is a corroborating person that you could ask to see if these events really truly happened. Okay. Uh, Verse 3, So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Vicar, in that verse, what is implied? Why did the sisters send word to Jesus that, Lazarus was ill, and specifically with the words, he whom you love is ill. What's implied there? I think the implication is that Jesus, knowing that his friend whom he loves is ill, will come and heal him, and they, they acknowledge that he is able to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not only um, that uh, he can heal him, but... Uh, you better. 
you better. I mean, you, you love this guy. I mean, you've been healing people that uh, you didn't even know, you know, strangers on the street. And, and you know Lazarus. You love him. You've got a relationship with him. He's sick. So it's implied, uh, come. Come now. Come in full force, full fury, and come and do your thing. The same thing that we have seen you do many times. Now, Pastor, the, uh, the bizarre thing is what Jesus says in verse 4. Uh, Jesus says, uh, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. So does, does Jesus just not know Lazarus is really sick and he's going to die. Is that, is that what's going on here? No, and I don't think that that's what John would imply either. John is well aware, especially at the point at which he's writing this gospel, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he is uh, God in human flesh. And as God, he is able to know all things. Um, and uh, we call that the... the um, omniscience uh, of God, that he knows all things. Um, And so Jesus is teaching us as Christians something that we need to understand about our own deaths uh, with these words, and he is also teaching his disciples uh, about their deaths with these words as well. And I I don't know if we have time to get into that here. Probably not all the details. Give us a little hint of what you're talking about, Pastor. Well, um, we have them call for Jesus, which is important. We need to talk about that. And uh, that all Christian deaths are for the glory of God because Jesus is going to put right what sin has brought about in death. So you're telling me that this is applying not only to Lazarus and his resurrection in a few minutes, uh, but this is applying to every Christian death that is for the glory of God. This, folks, you need to hang around because you need to hear more on this particular topic. This is Equipping the Saints, episode 34, John 11, Dying a Good Death. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Noah Kirstein. In our uh, episode 34, we are looking at uh, continuing our topic with dying a good death, dying well. What, uh, what does death look like? For the Christian, uh, what are some things that we should be aware of? How can we prepare? And um, uh, I can't think of a better place than John chapter 11. We, uh, we began our discussion in our previous episode, John 11, 1 to 4, but we have a little unfinished business before we keep going here, Pastor. And um, the first thing is in verse 3. You know, Lazarus is sick. Um, we get, we get the introduction about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We know uh, from other parts in Scripture uh, who they are. They have close relationship with Jesus. And uh, Lazarus is ill. The uh, sisters, Mary and Martha, sent to Jesus, um, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Pastor, um, what does that teach us 
today in a very positive way with regard to when we are ill or when a loved one of ours is ill? That there's someone that Jesus loves. First off, that's number one thing. Amen. And for that reason, you should call their pastor because their pastor brings Jesus um, through the word and through the sacraments, if possible, and uh, that it's very important that families call the pastor of the one that Jesus loves so that Jesus can visit through the pastor's words and sacraments to bring the Holy Spirit to create and sustain faith within them in their time of illness. But I know Pastor Moline, and Pastor Moline is really, really good at the bedside, and uh, he is very, very comforting when people are sick, and he brings the pure word of God. Uh, why don't I tell them that my pastor Moline will come and visit them and bypass their pastor because I'm sure my pastor will do a better job than their pastor? Well, um, it's churchmanship, right? Um, that pastor of that individual has a relationship, has hopefully been bringing God's word faithfully to the person for a long time. And so the time then can be spent in God's word rather than trying to get to know the person and build a rapport and and feel comfortable with the person. Sometimes there are important things that need to be talked about with someone who is sick or dying, sins that weigh heavily on their conscience, and if we need to get to know each other before we can talk about those things, we might not have enough time. And uh, so rather than screw around with the individual and who they are and how, how to get to know them, if we can come and just bring God's word, that's the most important thing. And this, and we got to be careful, um, you know, we, we love it when people love their pastor. And, uh, but this is not a, uh, you know, my dog's better than your dog kind of a thing. If, if someone has a pastor, their pastor should be involved. Their pastor should be called. And uh, if they're from out of town or whatever, their pastor can call your pastor you can call Pastor Moline or me or whatever, and if maybe we'll they'll ask us to help in this regard. I've been put in some very very difficult situations, Pastor. Maybe you have too, where well-meaning members of the congregation will say, "Oh, my cousin is in the hospital, and I told him you'd be by for a visit this afternoon." And uh, I don't know this person. I have other visits already scheduled. Uh, I don't want to let our member down, but at the same time, I have zero responsibility as a called pastor here at Good Shepherd to visit this person. Um, th these are really, really difficult situations for a pastor. And so I would just encourage you, uh, you know, uh, your pastors take visiting very, very seriously. And uh, we like it when people are happy and satisfied and proud of their pastor uh, and their bedside manner. But please try not to make promises for your pastor that he may not be able to, to keep. At the same time, I think our own members and the members of any church need to talk to their um, their their children, their family members, and say, when I'm in the hospital, I want you to call 
my pastor and here's his name and his number so that he'll come and visit me and to have that discussion with the family so that if I'm um, incapacitated and taken to the hospital and uh, can barely get out a few words, maybe I've had a stroke or uh, an injury, um, that my kids know who my pastor is and have his number and can call him so that he will come in and see me at that time. Um, and there doesn't have to be a search. There doesn't have to be a question. They won't accidentally call the wrong pastor or um, not call the pastor at all because they don't know. So having that conversation within your family to the person who has power of attorney or uh, the next of kin uh, is really important as well ahead of time. Talk to them write it down, have pieces of paper everywhere that have your pastor's phone number and cell phone number and church office number and email address. And if 10 people tell us that uh, Mary Smith is in the hospital, um, that is a thousand times better than if nobody tells us that Mary Smith is in the hospital. And, you know, we hear all the excuses, uh, and I think many of them are well-intended. Oh, Pastor, uh, you know, you're so busy. Oh, Pastor, it was just such a minor thing. I didn't realize I was going to be in the hospital for three weeks. Uh, all of these, there's nothing too minor. Um, first of all, uh, for our prayers. Second of all, uh, for our visits. And, uh, you know, we have two pastors and a vicar here at Good Shepherd, plus nine elders. Uh, we have four or five uh, uh, retired pastors here in the congregation. There's nothing uh, that will keep us from making these kind of visits or having someone make a visit like this if a visit is truly wanted and needed. And we're happy to do it. And I think the visit should be wanted, right? Not because... Um you are good friends with Pastor Poppy or Pastor Moline, not because, uh, you know, we uh, know each other well, but for the very reason that uh, we hear in our particular text, um, Jesus, the one that you love, is ill. That's the reason. It has to do not with our relationship as pastor and parishioner, but rather the relationship between uh, Christian and Christ. And that's the part that we need to emphasize there. That is very, very important. And I'm glad you brought that up because, um, you know, there are some times when somebody's in the hospital and if, uh, if the guy who has been here 25 years or more doesn't make the hospital visit, sometimes people might feel slighted. Oh, I got the second pastor. Or, oh, I got the vicar. I must not be that important. And, uh, folks, uh, we do not think that way here at Good Shepherd. We have two pastors by the grace of God, and we have a vicar who's learning to be a pastor by the grace of God. We do not have ranks. We do not talk about senior pastor or junior pastor or pastor wannabe. I mean, sometimes we do joke about the vicar that way, but uh, we are a true 
team ministry. And we do not make any of those kind of distinctions. And I know that human nature sometimes wants to make those. But there's none of that going on. That, uh, you know, the, the old pastor is only going to visit the important people or anything like that. That is so far from the truth and so far from the way we think with regard to our pastoral care. We believe in high pastoral care. And that has nothing to do with the marijuana laws in Colorado. High meaning the highest possible care that we can bring. And that means bringing God's word in its truth and purity. And that is our goal. And I think the reason that that's why we need to have that conversation with our families and talk about that. Uh, can we say it here? We, we had a situation just very recently where that conversation was not had and the hospital did not let us know and uh, we were not allowed to go and visit and because that had that conversation had not been had we didn't know the person was in the hospital and when we did find out the hospital wouldn't tell us what room and when we showed up anyways <laughs> as we did uh, we were asked to leave because family had not had the conversation about who the pastor was it's not about our pride or our ego or anything like that what we want to do is to let the Lord who loves that individual have his word heard uh, at the important times in life. And that's really what the goal is. Um, is that fair to say? That's a thousand percent fair. And I could give you a half a dozen more uh, examples that have happened in the 25 years that I've been here at Good Shepherd, and they are heartbreaking because we want the word of God to be resounding in people's ears, not only each and every day of their life, but especially when the lights of heaven are getting brighter and brighter. And uh, this is a very, very high priority for us here. Uh, let's be honest. If all we did was Sunday morning stuff, we could get by with one pastor. We wouldn't need two pastors and a vicar. But it's all of the visitation. It's all of this high pastoral care, bringing word and sacrament to people who can't come. This is why this is important for us. And uh, uh, have that conversation. Write it down. Have it a have hundred times with your family. And um, um, yeah, not that there aren't other pastors out there, but we're the ones that God has uh called us to be stewards of we are stewards of your soul and uh, we want to be the best steward of your soul with regard to god's word that we can possibly be would this be a time for uh, you to say a word or two about chaplains at hospitals and hospice care facilities as well they're there for emergency situations where things are happening quickly but they also 90 percent of the time call us as your pastor to let you know as well. And that's really, I, I'd say, what their biggest function is, is to let the actual pastor uh, know so that the one whom Christ loves can hear Christ's word from the pastor that Christ has given to them. And uh, there, there are many wonderful, faithful uh, hospital chaplains, yeah. nursing home chaplains and such that are out there. And um, they want you connected to your pastor as well. They're not there for an ego trip or anything like that. Now, if somebody doesn't have a pastor, um, they can sometimes fill in a gap um, in, a, in a very, very serious emergency kind of way. But um, you know, for those of, for those of you that do have a pastor, uh, tell the chaplain, uh, love you, 
appreciate you being here. Uh, call my pastor. Here's his name. And here's his name. Here's his number. And he will come and visit. And we promise you that within reason, we will come and visit. Uh, back in the olden days, we had uh, one of our members that uh, moved to Independence, Missouri. And until I got her connected to a church, you ready for this? Once a month, I drove to Independence, Missouri and brought her the Lord's Supper. Now, I didn't want to do this forever. That's not a good steward of my time with regard to the other 800 members of our congregation. But until we could fix, fit that gap, I made that commitment to that individual. And I know you would too, Pastor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. We made it all the way backwards to verse 3, didn't we, Pastor? We're going at uh, record yeah, pace Yeah, we're here. going at a record pace. This is Equipping the Saints, John 11, 1 to 4. Don't change that dial. We still have more to talk about with verse 4. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Noah Kirstein. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come visit us. Uh, we worship every Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday school for all ages in between. Wednesday evenings, year-round at 630. Uh, come and hear the Word of God and prepare yourself to die. Uh, there's no better way to die a good death or prepare for dying a good death than to hear the word of God and receive the gifts of God on a regular basis. Have I said that too strongly, Pastor? No, and I think that's the thing we're trying to emphasize is that um, for a Christian, dying well is a lifelong endeavor that involves being in God's presence where God gives his gifts. And that's really what we want to drive home with this whole topic. Amen. Amen. Um, we are in John chapter 11. And uh, in our first segment, we did kind of an introduction to the Gospel of John and chapter 11. And uh, we did kind of an overview of verses 1 through 4. In our second segment, we spent the entire time, we backed up and we spent the entire time on verse 3 and the importance of calling your pastor when someone is sick, whether, whether it is a quote-unquote routine kind of an illness or surgery or whatever, or whether you believe it's serious, call the pastor. We want to know. We'll come and visit. We want to pray. Um, all of these things, uh, this, this is what your pastor is here for. And uh, Jesus teaches us that. Mary and Martha teach us this as well. And a great encouragement to let your family members know that this is important to you. Uh, now we want to uh, move all the way to verse 4. But, uh, Vicar, do you want to get those verses fresh in our brain again? Uh, John 11, 1 to 4. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. 
So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Thank you, Vicar. Uh, that was John 11, verses 1 through 4. Now, Pastor, uh, in our very first segment, uh, we made kind of a bold statement, and I guess you made it, and I emphasized it, and uh, this is where we want to. This is where we want to go now. Um, it's pretty clear if you know John eleven, if you know what's coming. Lazarus dies. Jesus doesn't come. He finally shows up after the corpse is in the in the grave, and uh, you know. Uh, all the things that happen to dead things are already beginning. Uh, and uh, Jesus, by the power of the word, raises Lazarus from the dead. Obviously, obviously, that death that now Jesus is going to physically, really raise the dead Lazarus back to life, obviously that glorifies God. That uh, you, you would have to be a complete moron not to see that it's a preview of jesus own resurrection it's a preview of our own resurrection on the last day so we can see how the resurrection of lazarus is going to glorify god you we made the comment that this is not only about lazarus and that this is also applicable to every Christian death. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, I think the thing for us as Christians to always have in our mind is that uh, we will die, but that when we die on the last day, God will undo it, and uh, he'll do that to his own glory. And uh, that's the truth with every single death for every person who is a Christian, who believes in Christ. And you see, even in this particular text, uh, it's maybe a little bit more clear in the Greek. Um, there is kind of a contrast uh, between uh, a sickness that leads towards death and the glory of God. And, and maybe we need to have that in mind first, right? Um, what is the sickness that leads towards death? It is sin. sin, ultimately. And some of the symptoms of sin are present in our lives in different ways. Everybody has perhaps different symptoms for the same illness that leads to death. And that could be cancer. It could be um, arthritis. arthritis. It could be it, bad eyesight, uh, bad hearing, speech impediment. Stroke. Uh, there's there's a million different things that we could die from, right? We're in Lincoln, Nebraska. It probably will be cancer. That's the big thing here, okay? Um, and so there are all these illnesses that are the symptoms of our sin that can lead towards death. But as Christians, uh, we actually have the other side of things. Yes, we're going to die, but it's only temporary. Yes, we're going to die, but it will be undone. It is a sleep from which we will wake up. And that is all done then at the glory of God. Glory, which is seen most clearly 
in the death of Jesus himself, where he sheds his blood to forgive sins, where he cries out, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, and says, it is finished, gives up the spirit, his body is placed in the tomb, and then he is raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that we too might have eternal life. And um, so this is contrasted uh, with sin. There is sin, Christ has fixed sin, and so for us as Christians, even if we die, we are going towards God's glory. I don't now, know if I'm being clear. No, you're very clear. I want to just uh, I want to pump pump one thing you said a little bit more. Um, anybody who reads the Gospel of John realizes that John uses the word glory a lot. And John, more than any of the other uh, Gospels, John, as as you beautifully said, uh, John has the ultimate glory of God, not on Easter Sunday, not the ascension of Jesus into heaven, not coming again in power and might and glory on the last day, has the glory of God as Good Friday. The stone-cold body of Jesus hanging, suspended between heaven and hell um, for all to see. How, Pastor, especially in light of this particular text here in John 11, verse 4, that we're uh, really, really uh, spending time on, how can this Jesus' death, naked and shameful, how can this really be the glory of God? Well, the good news, I guess, is that you don't have to take our word for it, right? Uh, Christ himself says it in John chapter 17. Um, after Jesus, this is Monday, Thursday, uh, during the meal, when Jesus had spoken, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you are the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Uh, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And he says this knowing in just a few minutes he'll be arrested, and in the morning he'll be crucified, and within 24 hours he'll be dead. And so he says it very clearly that the glory that God is going to Uh, shine forth through him is the cross uh, to which he is headed it uh, it's amazing to me uh, one of the um, holy week observances i think it is holy tuesday if memory serves me right but uh, we are we are reading in john chapter 12 and John chapter 12 is another one of those almost tongue-twisty kind of a chapters because it's always talking about the glory of God, the glory of God, the glory of man, uh, contrasted with the glory of God. They were more concerned with the glory of man than the glory of God. And um, many of our hearers might be familiar with a movie, a Civil War movie that came out, oh, 15 years ago or so with uh, Denzel Washington as uh, one of the prime uh, 
characters. And the Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick was uh, uh, General Shaw, I believe. Uh, I think he was just a brigadier general. But anyway, uh, and the uh, pretty accurate, pretty to, true story of the 54th Maine. And 54th Massachusetts, Massachusetts, 54th Massachusetts, and uh, the title of the movie is Glory. And you know, I'm thinking of this, uh, and if you don't know anything about it, I don't want to spoil it for you, but watch the movie, it's very good, it's very accurate. And after the uh, failed attempt to take the fort, and they are basically with the equivalent of bulldozers. Back in the 1860s, however they were doing it, and they are pushing the dead bodies of the soldiers into these mass graves. And I'm thinking to myself, how can this be glory? How can this be glory? But the movie is uh, perfectly named because it is in their sacrifice for something bigger than themselves, that there is glory. And that's what Jesus is doing on Calvary's cross. He is sacrificing his life for the life of the world. And that glory that Jesus earns is delivered to us by grace through faith. And it undoes, to to get us back to where we're going, it undoes the illness that leads to death. It undoes sin for all who have faith in Christ. And so there is this contrast between these two things. Mary and Martha, they're not, when they're calling for Jesus, they don't quite understand things in that respect, right? They just want Jesus to come and stop this symptom illness. And we don't know what it is. Is it cancer? Is it, uh, uh, we don't know, right? They want him to come and fix the symptom. And uh, Jesus says, no, I'm really going to deal with the root cause, the, uh, the actual reason that all death is going to happen. And uh, I'm going to do that in my glory, a glory that, as it says, um, leads to God's glory through what I do. And, uh, you know, we're not discounting Easter Sunday and Christ's victory over sin, death, and the grave when we talk this way. Uh, But what we are doing is talking about how John, the Gospel of John, um, almost in a unique way, emphasizes the cross and Jesus hanging on the cross, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as the ultimate glory of God. And we don't normally think that way because when we think of glory, we think of victory. And we don't think that there can be any way, shape, or form that there can be victory in death. And yet that's exactly what we have in Christ Jesus. Oh, so much more here. John chapter 11, dying well, equipping the saints. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Kirstein. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, Check us out on our uh, radio website. Uh, We're we're doing some uh, modification on there now, but uh, you can still check out our archives. Trust me, they're going to get better in the future. Thecross957.org. Also, KNNA Theological Programming. That's what you would search for with regard to this particular podcast, Equipping the Saints, and uh, hundreds and hundreds of others. Again, KNNA Theological Program. We'd love to have your feedback, and uh, these programs are out there for you. Um, we've we've uh, spent most of our time, oh, let's be honest, all of our time, in the first four verses of John 11. And uh, only Poppy and Moline could do that. Uh, And yet, there's so much more here for the discussion. And before we go on to verse 5, and uh, I don't know if we're going to get to verse 5 in this segment or not. We'll see what happens. But I think there are many, many different attitudes toward death. And, And after all, we're talking about dying well. Uh, dying a Christian death, dying a good death. And we've talked about the importance of calling your pastor. We've talked about the importance of hearing God's word and receiving the gifts of God, understanding, uh, as uh, Pastor Moline beautifully articulated, that um, the, the issue which causes death, the illness which causes death, is not what we normally think of. It's not cancer or heart disease or Alzheimer's or uh, restless leg syndrome or anything else that's causing an issue in your life. Those are symptoms. Those are the symptoms. But the ultimate illness is, Pastor, drum roll. Sin. It is sin. And that's not a cop-out. That's the truth. That's the truth. Now, we have... uh, gathered around the uh, equipment here at the uh, Eagle's Nest at 3825 Wildbriar Lane, KNNA uh, Radio, uh, 95.7 The Cross. Um, We have three people gathered around here. And I am technically a baby boomer. Pastor Moline, I can't keep all this straight. What are you? I'm a millennial. You are a millennial. Well, I'm right on the line. I'm probably, the way I think, not quite a millennial. But. Okay. Okay. And, Vicar, what are you? I'm either the last millennial or the first generation Z, depending on who you ask. Okay. So um, if you have no idea what we're talking about, that's okay, because uh, this is all... Um, I can't say Greek because I actually know a little bit of Greek. This is like Swahili to me when people are talking this way. Basically what it means is I'm in my 60s, Pastor Moline is late 30s, and the vicar is mid to late 20s. We have, in a sense, three different generations represented here. And this may shock you. Uh, This may just come to you as common sense, different generations think about death in different ways. So 
Vicar, um, what are what are some of the things that uh, people your age in their twenties think about with regard to death? Do they just not think about death? I'm young. I'm going to live forever. Or is there something more than that? I would say among my peers, there's a lot of spiritualism. So Eastern thoughts here. People have souls. When you die, there might be reincarnation. You might just, your soul might go into some sort of collective consciousness. Uh, but we don't need to think about it because we're young. We have plenty of life ahead of us. Don't think about it. However, when you do think about death, it becomes very grim very quickly. The majority of my peers are on antidepressants, anti-anxiety pills. There's not a lot of hope for the future. We look at the news and there is death and tragedy all around. Um, politics really don't solve any of our problems. There is not a whole lot of hope for the future. And if you're thinking about death, more than likely you're thinking about taking your own life. And these are the problems that sort of plague my generation. Um, yeah, that's sobering, Vicar. Uh, but it's, it's important for us to think about this because... Uh, whether you're uh, Vicar's age, uh, in your 20s, or you certainly know someone who is that age. Maybe it's your own kids or grandkids or great-grandkids. Uh, maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's the person you sit with at church or whatever. Um, the, this uh, this, ac this uh, description, I believe, is pretty accurate from what I know and from the folks that I have visited with. And uh, it, is, it is sobering. Uh, if you don't have any hope, then it's hard to get up in the morning and it's hard to think about uh, living your life. If um, you don't have much hope for the future, especially for anything other than some collective consciousness, I don't even know if I know what that means, but uh, if you don't have any other hope for the future, then you put all of your efforts into living now and living today. Uh, you did not mention um, what one of our former vicars talked about all the time, YOLO. You only live once. You only live once. You didn't mention that vicar, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bridge over to somebody who's in his mid to late 30s. I'm not going to give it away. You can do that if you want to. Uh, not quite 40. I'll put it that way. Um, but uh, what about your generation, Pastor? What are, what are some of the uh, things that uh, a millennial might think of with regard to death? Uh, does this uh, YOLO thing fit in with you, or is this kind of there for all generations? Uh, it is there, I think. Um, there's that idea. Our generation, um, they have really bought into the whole evolution mindset where death is a natural part of life. It's necessary for our uh, species to keep evolving and improving. Um, but, you know, when I think about people my age that I've talked to that are not Christian, what they see as happening is nothing. Um, there is no soul. There, You're just a creature. You're just an animal. You've evolved. And when you die, 
it's done and there's nothing more. And again, while it might not be a collective consciousness or um, some sort of weird spiritualism, um, it is kind of a depressing end in that regard. And so again, I think my generation uh, avoids thinking about it. And I think a large part with my generation is they are the no objective truth age. You know what I mean? Um, And so you can't say what's going to happen um, and uh, everybody's decision about what they think is equally true. Um, and so most people just think there's nothing. Okay. So we have a hopelessness and despair in Vickers' generation. Um, you know, at the end, there's nothing. So you just as well live every day for yourself and every day for today because you're only going to live once and then it's over. Yep. Um, and I'd love to just kind of skip over the uh, baby boomers. I suppose I'm one of the, the the youngest of the baby boomers, and most of them are older than me. But uh, one of the things that I have noticed with regard to a majority of baby boomers is a, a narcissism, a uh, pride, uh, a hubris that revolves around stuff. And, uh, you know, every year comes up about uh, the whole issue of mammon. And, uh, you know, you, you can't love God and mammon both. And I think what summarizes many of uh, the baby boomers is an obsession with mammon. And you can, you can justify that as well. Well, I need to have more stuff so that I don't become a drain on the economy. I have to have more stuff so I can pass it on to my children or my favorite charity. And life becomes about the accumulation of stuff. And while there is a significant number of baby boomers that take church and Jesus and eternal life seriously, there is a huge number of baby boomers that couldn't care less, that just couldn't care less. So, Pastor... In the time that we have left, and you see the clock, what is the answer to the obsession with mammon? What is the answer to the there's nothing out there anyway? What is the answer to the hopelessness and despair that we have talked about with these three generational aspects of life and death? What's the answer? Well, the answer is that all of us need to repent and uh, to keep our eyes, uh, look with our eyes to the glory of God in Christ crucified and resurrected to forgive sins and to understand that that's the answer to all of the questions. There is something out there, and that is eternal life. Christ says that clearly, and the way we know it is he's risen from the dead. There's no reason to be anxious or depressed or weary because Christ is victorious. Uh, We don't need to love the things of the world because Christ uh, promises us a new world where we'll get even more than we can possibly imagine here. And so in all these cases, the glory of God is the solution to the illness that leads to death and the symptoms that we all face with that. And so repenting and believing the gospel as is always the case on our radio shows, is the solution that we we need to keep in our hearts and in our minds. That is uh, very well said. I I think the way it says it in the text, right, if we're going to go back there, um, the one whom you love is ill. That's us. 
we are loved by God, and we're ill with sin, and that's why we need to repent. And I think that's a great place for us to end, because to kind of cap uh, off our discussion here of John 11, 1 to 4, verse 5, where we're going to pick up in our next episode, says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. God's love is sure and certain. There is no reason to be without hope because the love of God in Christ Jesus gives us hope. There is no reason to think that there is nothing out there because the love of God in Jesus Christ proves that there is something, something worth dying for. And uh, believe it or not, that's us because God loved us that much. Um, there is no reason to cling on to the things of this world, our mammon-type stuff, because God's love has demonstrated that forgiveness, life, and salvation is more important than any worldly position, As possession. And uh, if we have that forgiveness, it sets us free to be good stewards of everything each and every day that God gives us. Yeah, as John writes later, God is love. In this is love, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son in the world so we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And, uh, and there we go. That's the truth. This love that God has is going to then drive the rest of John 11 uh, and all the things that happen both as Christ delays and as Christ uh, undoes death so that we might repent and trust in his love. This has been episode 34, Equipping the Saints. Thanks for tuning in. John chapter 11. We're just getting started, folks. We got lots more to say. God's richest blessings in Christ. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.